Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, praise team, for ministering that spirit. Amen. It's a ministry of the spirit and word that's so important when we gather together in his name. We all come with a variety of needs, thoughts, battles that we have fought during the past week, maybe still are fighting in our minds. And the devil would like to do his best to get your mind off of what's going on right now. We'd like to get you to get preoccupied with your wars, your battles, your challenges. But we need to realize that there's a bigger battle going on in the world, in the spirit realm. And it's the battle for the souls of humanity. And we are called to take part in that battle in prayer in preaching the gospel, extending the message of hope and reconciliation toward God. What a great challenge it is. And it takes laborers to do that. It takes willing servants, yielded servants to the Holy Ghost to do that. And everyone can have a part. Everyone. You don't need a license as a minister. You're all called to be witnesses. If you believe in Christ and have had a conversion experience to begin that pathway, amen. And that's the subject of my message today in many ways. Uh, and I take my text from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First of all, I, I was going to start with 16. I thought I'd better do it in chronological order. I do 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 14 if you find the place. Amen. I want to just say for our Friday night leadership meeting, uh, if you're a leader in any way, you should be there. And not only as a pastoral staff member or a director of a department, but also the teachers. If you have any role in, in ministry of kind, ladies, ladies ministry, hallelujah, every level of the ministry should be there. And those who aspire in leadership and want to be leaders, those who, for example, will fill out a card today, which we'll pass out in a little while, about ministry and service. You really should be here Friday night from 6 o'clock to 9. It's three one-hour segments, and really only about 50 minutes each. We'll have a break in between each. But it's important. It's important. And everything that we've been doing the last several weeks is about the pathway to leadership. It's discipleship and making disciples. And today is no different. Wednesday night, I will be also talking and teaching about ministry and, uh, and the things that go along with this pathway to leadership. Hallelujah. We're all leaders in one way or another. We are. You are a leader. You got to lead yourself. Hmm? You led yourself to church this morning. Hallelujah. You drove the car to where you wanted to go. Amen. I find the first requisite for our leaders to lead yourself. We're our leaders. Praise God. All right. Uh, book of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 15. Paul the apostle writing to this Corinthian church. He says, I thank God 
that are baptized, none of this, verse 14, sorry, but Crispus and Gaius, verse 15, lest any should say that I had baptized in my own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus. The household of Stephanus. Besides, I know not whether I baptized any. I don't remember who else I baptized. He didn't baptize a whole lot. He baptized a few. He let them do baptisms of others. Called delegation. After instruction and discipleship. Praise God. And so he says, uh, verse 16, right? So he says, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And not with wisdom of words does the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is the power of God. What Paul is saying, he's not saying that you shouldn't baptize people, that Jesus didn't say, you know, commission him. That, oh no, quite the contrary. What he's saying is he didn't send him to baptize anybody there. The church was already established. They've been baptizing. They had people being baptized and baptizing already. There were elders there. The reason he's writing this letter in the first place because they had a lot of questions. And he sent these questions to Paul and Paul in his letter now is answering back to them. In fact, Stephanus and some of his other companions were the messengers who carried that letter and this instruction. And so now when you get to 1 Corinthians chapter 16, Paul mentions the name of Stephanus and his companions uh, beginning with verse 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 15. And Paul says here in his final chapter, I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus. Notice again, the house of Stephanus. Not just him, it's his whole family. And everybody that's in there with him coming together for church. That is the first fruits of Achaia. The first fruits up in that region of Greece. And that they have a addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. They have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad for the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. They were leaders in Achaia after they were saved. And uh, they were the messengers that carried this letter. Hallelujah. They were faithful. And the thing that stands out to me from this whole account is this verse in chapter 16, verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, you know, the house of Stephanus. There's the first fruits of Caia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That's the title of the message this morning. Being addicted to the ministry of the saints. Addiction, a lot of times today, of course, has a negative connotation. It means dependent on some kind of chemical substance that is harmful and bad for you. But addiction, you can be addicted to, to something that is actually good, like in this case, ministry. Uh, and being addicted is really, it is in this meaning, in this instance, is 
an enthusiastic devotion to an activity. It's an enthusiastic devotion to an activity. And in this particular biblical case, we can say it is an enthusiastic zeal, an enthusiastic, hallelujah, devotion to ministering to the people of the church and the outside world. That's a good kind of addiction. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Brother Mike Poole, why don't you lift up your voice nice and loud and pray for this service this morning. Would you pray with him? Everybody said in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I remember Brother Tinney saying one time, you know, when I was a kid, my parents drugged me to Sunday school. They drugged me to church. And now I'm I'm addicted. (laughs) Hallelujah. Amen. I like that. Now you drag your kids to church, they'll get addicted to the right things. The worship of God, the singing, the praise, the fellowship, good, clean fellowship, amen, and to the work of God in the ministry of his kingdom. Praise God. I'm going to look at the ministry of the body from a biblical, shall we say, book of Acts perspective. Stephen and Stephanus and Paul we're all addicted to the service of others. In the book of Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, as Jesus ascends and gives his final charge to his disciples, he says, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And this mandate indeed began to be carried out on the day of Pentecost, and it became an ever-widening, expanding circle which reached the uttermost part of the earth, even to us in the United States. In fact, you look on a map from Israel uh, to where we are, it's about the furthest place you can get on the map from that place where God initiated the church. We are the uttermost part of the earth. Amen. There's other places that are remote and far out, but... This mandate is being carried out. That's what our Faith Promise Sunday is supporting missionaries all about. We send out missionaries. We're in 199 countries, 35 territories. We've only got a handful of countries yet to reach by sending somebody in there about the message and the cross of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that the coming of the Lord Jesus is soon because he said, then the message, this gospel of this kingdom shall be preached unto every nation and then shall the end come. And here we are, we're close to the end, and it's closer than you can imagine. But when it first began, it was a slow, expanding circle that began in Jerusalem. And it took a time even for them to move from Jerusalem, as big a revival as they had. They went to Samaria, Acts chapter 8. They didn't even get to Samaria next door until persecution came their way. And then... 
they didn't get to the Gentiles about until about 17 years later. 17 years from the day of Pentecost to Acts chapter 10, where the first non-Jewish Gentile people heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. God had to dispatch an angel to a Roman centurion, Cornelius, who sent for Peter the apostle, who had the keys to the message to come and preach to him and his whole household what to do to be saved. Hallelujah. I wonder what would have happened if Peter and the church would have expanded and expanded and went a little bit further out in that circle as the Holy Ghost led them. But I think he became victim to something that you and I fall victim to many times. And it's, it's just kind of closing the circle, you know. Us four, no more. Us 4,000, us 5,000 and no more. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and 5,000 more later on. Hallelujah. And the church was growing leaps and bounds in Jerusalem. But they probably thought in a, for a while that they had done what they came to do. And, and hey, things are going great. God is adding church to the church that should be saved. And there are thousands of us. Maybe they got complacent. I don't know. But the church did get wider and bigger and it did expand. By the leading of the Holy Ghost. And we read about people like Barnabas and, and Stephen, the first martyr of the New Testament church. Stephanus, whom we just read about too. But all these, among many others, truly exemplify were, were through a maturing process. They began shifting their attention from themselves and they began to focus on others. I said they shifted their attention from themselves and their local church and they began to shift their attention and focus on others. And this is what Christianity is all about. This is what just Christian life is supposed to be all about. And the mark of mature Christianity is when we indeed begin to shift our focus on other people. And we see it time and again throughout the Bible happen. Uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament uh, he could see the, the ills of society. He saw the backslidden nation and the direction they were headed. And, and God's spirit moved upon him. And he said, you know, woe unto this people. Woe unto them. Woe this. Woe that. You know, you guys are headed in the wrong direction. The judgment of God is going to come upon you. Whoa, whoa, whoa. And then when King Uzziah died, chapter 6, it goes, he has a vision. And he sees God in his temple, high and lifted up. And the Bible says that when he saw God and his holiness... Then he really saw his true self and how far he has fallen short also of the glory of God. Maybe he was a little bit better than the rest of average people of Israel. But when he compared himself to God, he said, oh, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips. You know, it, it, you, you, when, when, when you're proud of how good you are, all you got to do is just get an encounter with God and see him, how holy and how pure and how righteous, how good he is. And all of a sudden you see your true self. That's what happened to Isaiah. But as soon as he did, hallelujah, he says, woe is me, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. He says, oh, I, I, I. That's a good thing to have uh, our eyes on ourselves and examine ourselves. But then in verse 8, he said, after the voice of the Lord spoke to him, then actually he sent an angel with a, a hot coal from the altar that he saw in heaven. He touched his lips and cleansed it. And when he cleansed his lips, then he heard a voice from God saying, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? 
And who will go for us? Then Isaiah said, then said I, here am I, send me, send me. Listen, you and I have never had a deep encounter with God until we get this, this, this eye examination. So we go to Dr. Jesus where we, he examines our eyes and see which direction we're looking at. Hey man, when we get a real experience with God, he's going to have us to take the, uh, our eyes off of ourselves uh, and he'll begin to shift our focus on the outside world and others that need him as well. Amen. Praise God. Just like the Saul of Tarsus, uh, who became a, uh, a great apostle through the maturing process. Uh, in Acts chapter 9, we read about his conversion experience. Uh, and in Acts chapter 22 uh, and then 26, he testifies uh, time and again about what happened on that faithful day when, when he had letters of authority from the high priest in Jerusalem to arrest Christians and put them in jail. And by his own testimony, he beat many of them up and he caused many to blaspheme. And God took this vessel and struck him blind on the road to Damascus to do what he's been doing in persecuting Christians. And he fell to the ground and, and by his own testimony, Acts chapter 26, verse 15, and I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest, but rise and stand upon thy feet for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister. Everybody say minister. Yes. I'm talking about being addicted to the ministry and that service. That's being a servant to the people of God. Amen. And serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things into which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentile unto whom now I send thee. Why? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that's in me. Hallelujah. That's why I called you. That's why I am sending you. Hallelujah. After three days of blindness, he was baptized in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost, uh, and God changed him to a maturing process. Uh, yes, right away he began to preach the gospel in the synagogues in Damascus. Uh, Damascus, Syria. Hallelujah. That's what we're talking about. Damascus, Syria. It's still there. It's an ancient city. Hallelujah. But that's where Paul began his ministry. And then when word got out among the Jewish constituents uh, of the synagogue that this man is now a Christian, the ones who used to persecute, there was a death threat going around. There was, amen, a plot to kill him him. And so they sent him out of town and he went down to Jerusalem to see the apostles and everybody was scared to death of him. They stayed away. Hallelujah. Hey, and that's all. He's the one who's been persecuting us and caused us to go every which way in the countryside until finally Barnabas got a hold of him, took him to the apostles and said, Hey, he's a real deal. He's got the real conversion experience. Jesus appeared to him and gave him a direct call and a commission. We really ought to listen to him. And so he was there for two weeks every day, coming out, going to the temple and coming back out. Hallelujah. Going out and coming back. Finally, all the people got used to him walking with the apostles. And they say, Hey, I guess he's the real deal. But even after that, in Jerusalem, when they found out that he's causing such a stir, and, and again, there's another death threat, another plot to kill him. They sent him out of town. In fact, back to his hometown, Tarsus. 
But really, he went back to, to, to Arabia. He went to the Arabian desert for three years by his own testament to, to, to figure things out. How does this Old Testament teaching gel with the New Testament uh, uh, concepts of Jesus Christ? I know who Jesus is. Now, I know what I got to preach. But there's so much more. Hallelujah. There's so much more that I have to understand. And so he went through this maturing process. Amen. He wasn't the kind of leader yet that, that Jesus wanted him to be. Hallelujah. But he went through that maturing process. And that God put him to work in reaching out to others. Because indeed, he became a missionary. The apostle to the Gentiles. I don't have time to go into the stair steps of his ministry, how he ended up there. He was used even as a, as a treasurer at one point. He was used to send an offering, hallelujah, from the, uh, oh, what was the name of that town? Hey, man, that was the next uh, uh, place uh, that had big revival after Jerusalem. And were 50,000 saints up in, uh, up in Antioch, hallelujah. And uh, they sent him out uh, to, to send their relief funds to uh, to Jerusalem because uh, there was a famine and there were a lot of poor saints and, and he was one of the people that went there and, and carried the, the offering. How about that? The great apostle Paul, before he became that, was an usher. Well, thank God for ushers. Thank God for anything you do in the church. You never know what God's got in mind for you to do. It might start out being, you know, uh, an usher or maybe cleaning toilets or maybe cutting the grass, or painting buildings, or laying down the floor. You don't know what it is. Maybe you're just an official, hallelujah, filling out paperwork, doing administrative things. Maybe just, you know, playing the keyboard. I don't know. Maybe God's got something bigger in store. Maybe God will call you, Andrew, to be a preacher. Hallelujah. <laughs> hey, her dad was a preacher, and her mom is a preacher, and the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Word. Thank you, Jesus. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. No pressure, really. I'm not calling. I'm not calling you to preach. I'm. I'm just. I'm just trying to be funny. So forgive me, okay? Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. But but God can call anyone. And when you begin, you know, when God begins to get your attention, I never planned on being a preacher. When God saved me, are you kidding me? Me stand in the pulpit and preach? All the heartaches, all the brokenness, all the ups and downs, all the... Are you kidding me? I think a lot of people... Paul, the apostle? A persecutor? A blasphemer? A mean man? Wow. Becoming a preacher of the gospel. Yeah, he went through a process. And every one of us that God calls into leadership... And into the ministering of the saints, God uses in preparation first. But you got to catch the vision, and sooner or later, God will give it to you. Jesus, walking in flesh, had it all ready from the get-go. From the time he was born, it wasn't just when he was baptized by John the Baptist. Amen. You read that in age chapter 12, out of age, at age 12 in Luke, when he's going to the temple, and his parents went with him, and you know he gets lost in the crowd. And for three days, they, they're without Jesus. They said, where's Jesus? Well, I don't know. Where's, I thought he was with you. No, I thought he was with you. Amen. So they went back, Joseph and Mary did, amen, and they find him in a temple teaching the wise people, the, 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 the scholars, the, the legal experts in the word of God, and he's teaching them, and he's asking them questions, and they'll marvel, where did this guy get 
such wisdom and such insight and such knowledge at age 12. And then, of course, when they found him, it's a son. Why, why do you cause us such sorrow? Don't you know? Why are you, why are you here? And Jesus would, don't you know that I must be about my father's business? And in Mark chapter 10, verse 43, he says this. But he's addressing this, this argument between his disciples. Who's going to be greater in the kingdom? Huh. Well, I'm going to be closer to him than you will. Oh, no, you won't, you know. And so he says, but this shall not be so among you, but whosoever shall be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be the servant of, an all, of them all. Shall be servant of all. Servant. Everybody say servant. That's the same word as minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. Verse 45, and even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. That's others' focus. It's not on himself, but others that he came to save. And he told the disciples, I want you to do the same thing. If you want to be chief, go minister, go serve other people. And again, the problem is, as it was with the early church in the book of Acts in Jerusalem, as it is with many of us today, just simply because of the circumstances going around us, and no matter what, could be just lethargy. You know, we, we, we just get this us four no more mentality that we have enough people to fill this building. If we get too many more, it'll be uncomfortable. Where are we going to put them? Hallelujah. It'll be too hot. It'll be too sweaty. Amen. It just won't be, you know, as, as nice. It'll be inconvenient. I mean, in our flesh, we can get that way, but we must not allow ourselves to get there and ignore the community around us and others who need Jesus. We can't develop this fortress mentality, you know, because iniquity abounds and this lawlessness, amen, the love of many shall wax old. All right, we just build the walls a little higher, a little stronger, a little wider and thicker. No. We're sent to be salt and light in the world, not to be a bushel. This church is not a bushel that covers the light. Far be it from us. God help us that we don't do what God called us to be as salt and light in this world. You and I were called and designed by God to reach out to others. If you got the Holy Ghost, you're saved, you're born again. You were called by God to minister to others. I'm not saying that you should be a preacher. I'm not talking about getting a, a ministerial license, being going down. You, if God wants that, praise God. But he's going to put you through a process, and it begins with reaching out to others. Amen. Now, it's interesting. And even in, in North American missions, home missions, you'll find uh, up to, when you look at a church, a local church, when you have up to 50 people, they are a family-oriented church. I think usually one family or two maybe dominates everything. They're, they're, they're the central part and role of that church. When you get to 50 and 100, then they become a, a pastor-oriented church. It's, it revolves around the pastor. But you get bigger than that, and you start growing into 200, 300, but all of a sudden the church evolves into a program-oriented church. And, and, and many times, you know... Uh, uh, Program is given a, a, a negative connotation, but it's not. Because when you begin to grow to that, that size, then amazing things begin to happen. 
people of different backgrounds, sizes, shapes, colors, different, all kinds of things. They come together and they begin to do amazing things. They form teams and, and their focus indeed is outward and not on themselves. And this is exciting because it allows more and more people to be involved in the ministry of the work of God. Amen. So you can expand the cause of Jesus Christ this way. You don't even have to go around the world. You don't have to leave the country. You can just go across the street to reach others. And the reason we work together, you know, as a team, it's not to beat the church across town. It's not to, to, to have more people in the First Baptist Church or the First Methodist Church. Or That's, we're not in competition with other churches, folks. Hallelujah. We're simply here racing, hallelujah, a clock. We're racing against time because Jesus is coming soon. Hallelujah. We're not here to race against anything or win any kind of contest. We're trying to win redemption, if nothing else. We're trying to depopulate hell and populate heaven. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. See, our goal is built to build everybody else up, to build others up. Hallelujah. Edification, that's what it is. Sister Tremaine and her kids' ministry team, you know what they do? They build up kids. You, you, you put your kids down in the kids' ministry. When we start back up again February 4th, we're, we're geared up. It's, it's going to be different. Curriculum, time slots, everything. It's, it's exciting what, what is being prepared. But we're, we're all reaching out to our kids and building them up, edifying them. Hallelujah. Because we can only teach them what God wants them to be taught. They're not going to find this in any public school. And many times they won't get it in the home. Hallelujah. For whatever reason, we want to help parents, in fact, in that. And help parents who come into church to be equipped to be able to teach their kids. But, you know, just a little time. Parents are busy too. And so in kids' ministry, we focus on building up our, our, our young people, our children. And youth minister, the same thing, teenagers. We're building them up. We're preparing them. We're equipping them with the knowledge and salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get this anyplace else. Sister Sue with the ladies' ministry. J.R. and Shayla, we mentioned the youth already. Hallelujah. Brother Jeff and Sister Evelyn and prison ministry, you know what they're doing? They're reaching out to others and they're building up others. They're sharing the message of the gospel of salvation and changing their lives and building them up when the devil was there who was beating them down. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Alfonso, I'm glad you're here today. Hallelujah. Doing the same thing, going down the streets, preaching the gospel to the downtrodden, those who are captives of sin in serious situations and trouble. Amen. Not anybody can do that kind of ministry. Hallelujah. But he's called to that. He's doing it. And he's reaching out. Rob Jolly, Nathan, Austin, all the guys, Drake, they're, hallelujah, reaching out to people on the jobs. Drake is teaching a Bible study. Allison, she's preparing herself on early childhood education. She's doing teaching with young people. Praise the name of the Lord. Who else is this? Somebody else I know. But there's a lot of teaching going on. People are, are, are teaching and they're preparing, they're building and edifying others. Mike Poole, Uber and Lyft. You talk about, about the people he encounters, the people he prays with. We can minister anywhere we go. And if your job allows that, hey, Sister Becky working in high places in the courts in St. Louis and the state of Missouri, 
She's up with people in high places, I'll tell you that. And these people are looking to her for advice and prayer and for counsel. We can't talk about a lot of that. Amen. But do you understand? We got, we got people in Caesar's household. Yes. Praise God. I'm talking about ministering to others. Kaylee Ivy ministering to her friends in school. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Two of them getting the Holy Ghost. I'm missing them today. Hallelujah. But they'll be here. Praise God. They'll be here. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. God is calling us to be addicted to ministry, to the ministry of the saints. Now, there's some prerequisites, obviously. You know, when, when you step into the role of Stephen, the one who waited on tables, Acts chapter 6, he was one of the first deacons. Or when you become like Stephanus, addicted to the ministry and serving the saints. When you begin to do that, you begin to see powerful things happen. But as you step into the role of ministering to others, there's a few things that you need to consider. Number one, you need to consider your walk with God. You must never neglect your own walk with God. Praise God. You must never neglect your walk with God. See, no one else can pray for you. In other words, no one else can do it for you. No one else can read the Bible for you. Not even Siri or Alexa. You can tell them to read out loud, and that's not reading it for yourself, really. I, I, I don't care. I don't care what you say. Hallelujah. You got to hear it. You got to read it. Amen. Praise God. Even if you read it out loud for yourself. No one can focus your eyes on the goal that you should be watching. Somebody else can't do the for You got to keep your eye on the goal. It's the devil's business to get your eyes off the goal and your mission and the vision that God gave us to reach out to others. He's trying to keep you blinded, amen, with blinders on, seeing only what's ahead of you. Right here. You got to lift up your eyes. Look on the fields and see that they're white already to harvest. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27 that, uh, shows us what, what, what Paul said in his ministry and how focused he was. It says, so I run straight to the goal. Now read the New Living Translation. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. Hear that. With purpose in every step. I'm not like a boxer who misses his punches. I discipline my body like an athlete. Training to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Maintain your walk with God. Paul could not afford to ignore his prayer life, his fasting. Hallelujah. His studying the word of God. And go on and be a great apostle and evangelist and missionary reaching out and establishing churches in other nations. So number one, do not neglect your walk with God. Number two, focus on what you can do and what you can. Hallelujah. Focus on what we can do with what we have. Because obviously we can't do everything. Now I know the scripture says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ Jesus which strengthens me, right? Well... We have to qualify that. You can't do all things that you want to do. You can do all things that's in, the God, that's in God's will for you to do. 
You can do all things that's in God's will for you to do. Hallelujah. You know, I, I, I may want to be a professional praise singer. And if I don't have the voice for it, you may want to be a great drummer, but if you, don't, if you can't keep a beat, forget it. Amen. I mean, you can go down. I might. You can't do it. I cannot be a doctor, a lawyer, a teacher, a mechanic. I can't be a ditch digger. I can't. I, I can't do. You can't do all of those things. You can't be a professional basketball player, a football player, you know, and, 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 or an actor and, and music. Oh, you can't do everything. You've got gifts and talents on the inside of you. And God wants you to understand that you're limited on what you can do. Amen. And God will help you and empower you when you invest it into the kingdom. And when you begin to ask them questions, Lord, what do you want me to do? That's exactly what Paul the apostle did when he was blinded. Lord, what should I do? What do you want me to do? That's a good question to ask. Before he became a great minister... And I, I encourage many, many folks, particularly starting out in ministry, so focus on your strengths, not your weaknesses. Don't try to do what you're weak at. Do what you're strong at. Build that up. Work on that. Perfect that. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why I don't sing in the praise team. <laughs> I like to sing. I'm weak at it. Hallelujah. I can't remember lines like that. Thank you, Jesus. But I, I focus on my strength. And, you know, and I could, you know, my, oh, my, my family is, is full of musicians. They are, you know. My father was a pianist. He lived from that. My mom was an opera singer and a pianist as well. And, and, and my kids, they all play some musical instrument, every one of them. And they sing. And it sent me too. And I took piano lessons for a while. And there was such a time, a time when I really, wa- I really wanted to play the piano and the keyboard. I really did. But in me, I wanted to focus on the ministry to which God called me. And I put all aside. Maybe I could have done both. But I felt that with the time and energy and the resources that I have, given my situation, I cannot afford to devote time to that. When I have a, a, a priority, when I have a calling that supersedes everything else. Oh, don't think I didn't think about starting some business. Starting a farm even. I love farming. I, I, I do. I love all the things about it. But that would restrict me in my access to people. I don't want to sit on a tractor 12 hours a day. Even though I probably would enjoy it. But while I'm plowing the fields, I'm thinking about the people out there that are perishing. When you've got that call, when you've got that vision, there's some things that you just can't allow yourself to do. And so I can do all things through Christ, yes, which God called me to do. Hallelujah. And not, you know, not what he didn't call me to do. Hallelujah. So this is all important for you to understand and to find what is God's will for you. 
Hallelujah. We don't have time for everything. We don't have the energy and the resources and the smarts and the talents to do everything. But at the same time, mind you, we can't allow ourselves to get paralyzed by what we can't do. But we've got to focus on that which we can do. Hallelujah. And then when you find what you really have to do, then you got to do with all your heart. Do it with everything you got. Whatsoever your hand findeth to do, do it with all your might, the Bible says. That's shifting your focus on others. God wants to grow this church. God wants to grow our numbers. He wants us to multiply. But it's going to take change in us more. Right here first. And then right here with our eyeballs right there. You need spiritual vision where you get your eyes off of yourselves on others. So that when you come to church, you no longer buzz out the door after the, after the amen is done. But you begin to look to others and shake hands and meet people who you don't know. Don't go to your circle of friends and friendships and your clique. is not a clique. It's circle of friends. Go around and shake hands with people that you don't know. That's outward shift. That's an outward focus. Mm. Somebody said hallelujah. It's interesting, a, a, a research was done among 5,000 pastors. Questions were passed out. And this question was asked, what is the number one need in the church? What is the number one need? And 98% of the respondents, 98% of the pastors from the far number one and number two put this sense. You know what it is? We need more church members to get involved. In the work of the ministry. Number one and number two. We need more church members to get involved. That's shifting your focus. It means you and I must focus more on others. It means that you and I start coming to church. Not just to be ministered unto like Jesus said. But to minister to others. And many are doing that. I understand that. I, I know I'm preaching to many of those who are in the choir. And I say that figuratively, as you know. But if you want to be used by God and, and, and find that, then find a place to serve others. Because that's what Stephen did. That's what Stephanus did. In fact, his whole household did that. What, a, what an amazing commendation to that man. To that, they were the first fruits of the ministry of Paul in Achaia. A man, they, every one of them were so enthusiastic. It makes me think of Jack Poole. Boy, they were like that. And there's others. There are. Cronenbergers. I can go down the list. I don't want to leave anybody out. Hallelujah. But I remember as a young, young, young man, you have a hard time saying because it's been such a long time ago. You know? Hallelujah. And I was just a young man in my early 20s. And I was at Mike Poole and Mike Poole's house. And he was just a little kid, eight years old, running around pulling my daughter's hair. <laughs> Those old days. Hallelujah. But, but 
Every, after every church, we're there. We're there having coffee, talking Bible. And now his whole house, well, now his son's that way. Him and Becky's, their house is wide open. Man, they have so many people over. It's amazing. I just don't know how they do it. And their house is not that big. They got, they got a modest little house. But man, it's full of love. It's full of outward focus. And you know what? And, and their kids are the same way. <laughs> and here they are addicted to the ministry. Hallelujah. I mean, I mean, Austin and Nathan, man, they're here almost every day of the week. You know how many hours Austin puts in there transferring electronic material up to the, either YouTube or Facebook or whatever and, and, and trying to get things prepared for everything special. Yeah, sound system to set up and everything else. I'm telling you, that's incredible. Andrea, she grew up in a household of ministry. And all the things she does, you, you cannot imagine all the things she does. And, and, and thank God for it. Can you imagine me trying to juggle all those balls? Picking the songs, getting the song team together, getting them sing right, playing all the instruments. I can't play all the instruments by myself. Do you, do you see, do you not see what's going on here? How important it is for us to work together, for all of us to do something? Because some of these people do more than one thing. And it would really help a lot if you would volunteer for some of these things that would take the load off of us. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. And so, so only, only, I understand, life is busy. But, but, when, but when we make a commitment, hallelujah, that's where the rubber meets the road. Now, when you, when you begin to serve others, let me back up here. I, I want to read the scripture from Ephesians 1. And uh, it, I didn't write it down for myself because it's too long to read. Forgive me. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. And mind you, this letter that Paul was writing to the Ephesian churches, Ephesus, Asia Minor, Paul established the church. Now, he found in Acts chapter 19, he found 12 Baptists who he rebaptized in Jesus' name, and then he laid his hands on them. They prayed through praying in tongues and the Holy Ghost, the Bible says so. And he spent two years there teaching them. God gave him great revival. And now he's writing them a letter. And he's left uh, Ephesus. He's gone to many other missionary journeys, establishing churches left and right. But so he hears things about him. And he's so encouraged. You know, it's so good to hear good news about a church that you've established and founded. And he, so in, in Ephesians chapter 1, he says, uh, uh, after talking to them about Jesus Christ and their faith in him and what happened since they believed they were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. And I believe in verse 15. Let's start in verse 15. Wherefore I also, after, everybody say after. after. I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and watch this. And love unto all the saints. Now I stop. We're not talking about statues here, saints. We're not talking about St. Christopher. We're not talking about St. Jude. Saints in the biblical context is anyone who has been born into the water and the spirit and has been filled by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes you a saint. You're not a saint because somebody canonize you to be a saint. No, you're a saint because God's presence in your life 
has sanctified you and had made you holy because he is holy. Let me just say quick, do you understand what a powerful concept that is? If you got the Holy Ghost, you got God living inside of you. You say that. But I'm telling you, that, that takes a revelation. That takes a revelation. Do you understand the omnipotent, the, the, the omnipotent? Got to straighten my Hungarian tongue. The omnipotent, omniscient. Omnipresent God is inside of you. Now, that doesn't make you a God, per se. But he, it gives you access to everything that he can do. No wonder, Paul said in Philippians, I can do all things through Christ. Whatever God's will is for my life, amen. If I got to do, I can do it through that power that's in me. But you've got to be aware of that. You've got to walk in that. You've got to get a revelation of what you got on the inside of you. And that's why your, your, your bodies are temples of the Holy Ghost. And you've got to know how to treat this temple. How to respect it and how to behave with God on the inside of you. But when we get busy serving God, look at this. When I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. This is like charity as well. It's an outward manifestation or expression of your love to all the saints. I cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. What prayers? That God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being lightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the riches of his glory and inheritance in the saints, on and on. Do you understand that there's revelation, there's great power, there's great blessing when you begin to love the saints, when you begin to minister to the body of Christ? Amen. Get busy. It's number one, don't neglect your, your walk with God. And two, focus on what you can do. And number three, everybody say number three. Make a commitment. Turn to your neighbor and say, make a commitment. Life is busy and priorities have to be made. But only committed people will carve out time and the energy necessary to serve the church. Only committed people will take the focus off of themselves and focus on other people and the needs of the church. That's why Paul told uh, Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men, faithful men, who shall be able to teach others also. In other words, committed people, Timothy, give this truth to committed men, faithful people. Those who stand fast in the truth. Those who will be involved. Those who will put their name on the dotted line. Those who were committed to a certain task, a certain job, at a certain place, at a certain time. And they will be true to their word. They'll be faithful. Because that's what Christ is looking for in his church. Well done, my good and faithful servant. He wants you and I to be faithful when we make a pledge and we make a promise. Amen. When you get involved in a ministry to the church and get addicted to ministering to the saints or household of God. Amen. There's a great blessing that comes with it. But God is looking for faithfulness. Faithfulness. And we have so many in our midst already, but we need more. We need more to be more effective and to be able to reach out to more in our community. 
And any of us who's been in church for any amount of time, we have to be willing to spend time and, and willing to train others. I said train others. All you people who are leaders already understand that we haven't really reached our level. We haven't, we haven't really done what we were called to do until we begin to train others. If you're doing something that you can train others to do, that you're not doing what God called you to do. Is that understandable? If you're doing something that you can train somebody else to do, and you don't do it, you're not doing what you're called to do. Because you're supposed, you and I are supposed to train people to do that which they can do so I don't have to do. So I can focus on a greater priority. That's why the apostles, when they were approached by the problem in Acts chapter 6, our widows are being ignored. So, all right, I'll tell you what, look out among you. Six, seven men, a good report, full of the Holy Ghost, honest, so on. Bring him to us. We'll lay our hands on him. Appoint them for this job. Yeah, but we're going to stick with word and with prayer. Hallelujah. Somebody said, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, you don't have to be an expert in human relations. You don't have to be a clinical psychologist. You don't have to be trained in human resources to do training on people that that is minimal. If you can do it, then show them how. Hallelujah. It doesn't take much to teach somebody how to cut the grass or to pull the weeds or to empty trash cans or to use the photocopier. It doesn't take a college degree. Although you never know, they might require one pretty soon. But, but in a general sense, if, if, if you're doing something that you can train others to do that we're not doing what God calls us to. And so the role of mentorship in this training is a next step for many of you leaders in this church already. You're good at doing what you're doing, but now it's time to spend time in training others to do it. Hallelujah. So they have something to do and be involved. Hallelujah. It's just the role of mentorship, this next step. Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Matthew 9, 37, 38. Jesus had only one prayer request, and this is it. Then saith he unto the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth labors into his harvest. That commands and demands a shift in our focus to others. Now, you might say, well, what's in it for me? Huh? What's the reward? Well... I can tell you, Stephen was one of the first, first uh, people who, who got his reward, and he was addicted to the ministry, and he was the first martyr. He was killed for it. What a great reward. He entered into heaven with a crown and sacrificing his life. But really, if you think about it, though, too, he had the privilege of looking into heaven and seeing Jesus as being stoned, standing on the right hand of the throne as he welcomed them home. But it was a servant of God, a minister, addicted to the ministry to the saints who had that experience. That's why I said there's, there's powerful revelation that comes to those who serve others. It's not just so menial. But even if it is, God sees and God watches Interestingly, 
the word Stephanus means crown. And of course, there's a great crown promised to those who serve him. 1 Timothy 3.12 says, Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. That's the NIV translation. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing, great assurance in their faith. See, this reward is not just gained in the future, but also in the present while we're still here doing it. That's your reward. And you and I need to, to find a way to help and to minister others. And there's so many hurting people, you know that. So many people that are lost and confused and deceived. And it's not easy to be a leader. It's not easy to minister to others. Sometimes it means, you know, being bigger by apologizing when you're still trying to figure out what you did wrong. Mm. It's eating a little crow, isn't that right, brother? Hallelujah. Eating crow. You know what, what eating crow is? It's, eating crow means you're apologizing. It's, it's humbling yourself. Amen. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of us ate crow in here. How many eaten crow before? Hmm? Oh, good. I see. Mm-mm. Do you like how you like yours? You like yours baked or roasted or raw? Amen. Deep fried. I don't know about you, but I, I, I don't like crow any which way is fixed. I don't like to eat crow. Hallelujah. I can't find a way to make crow taste good. But sometimes you got to learn how to let go of the past so the kingdom can move forward. And if it means humble yourself and say, I'm sorry, so be it. Hallelujah. And sometimes it means that you have to take a stand and stand alone in the face of evil, tales of opposition. Sometimes you get hurt. Yes. Now, that's one of the tests, and I will talk about that Wednesday. One of the things you got to pass is the hurt test. You are going to get hurt. Count on it. You're going to be offended. Amen. And that's one of the devil's favorite tools. You're going to get offended. You're going to get hurt. You can't be a leader without it. You better pass that test. If you don't pass it, I guarantee you still want to be a leader. You keep coming back to it. Hallelujah. You're going to learn how to deal with it. Isn't that right, Sister Ann? Come on now. Say praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. But, but the writer of, of the book of Hebrews tells us, in chapter 6, verse 10 through 11. And I'm coming, I'm, I'm hasting to an end here. Verse 10, for God is not unjust. Are you getting this? It's a New King James Version. For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, in that you have ministered to the saints. And do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end. That you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You understand that God's watching everything you do? What these scriptures basically say is that, is that this scripture is is. Summing up everything that you ever, we ever do for God. It's a cup of cold water that you give in his name. It's every act of kindness. It's every act of generosity. 
It's every piece of trash you pick up. It's, it's whatever that you do that blesses people that nobody else sees. It's turning the other cheek. No matter how insignificant something is, an unnoticed act of service to God, God will not forget. He's writing it down. Every ride you ever gave to anybody free, every call you ever made, anybody you ever visited, any card that you fill out and send to somebody, every long night conversation you've had trying to stay with people that are in trouble, he sees it and he won't forget. And this is the end result, the blessing that comes with shifting our focus on other people. I'm talking about a great shift here. I want to close this with a story about a man, a missionary in the 1800s. I think some of you have heard of him. His name is James Hudson Taylor. He was a Baptist fellow. He put 54 years into Chinese missionary work. He left in the 1830s. He went 54 years into China. Now, being a Baptist, though, Baptist isn't like it is today with different shades and different... Well, let me just say that he was open to any Protestant. And he used them in the work in China. He had great works. Listen to uh, what is being written about him. Uh, you can look him up for yourself. Born uh, May 9, uh, 1832. And died in 1905. He was a British Baptist Christian missionary to China. He was the founder of the China Inland Mission, CIM, now CMF International, still in work. Taylor spent 54 years in China. The society that he began was responsible for bringing over 800 missionaries to the country. Started 125 schools and directly resulted in 20,000 Christian conversions as well as the establishment of more than 300 stations of work with more than 499 local helpers in all 18 provinces of China. He was very famous in the 1800s in all our circles even to this day. He sacrificed a lot. He loved the people. And I'm thankful for the work and message of, of preaching Christ and the cross and preaching his message because, you know, anybody who preaches faith in Jesus Christ, knowledge of the Bible and repentance is a big start. There are millions now today filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name in China. And who knows how much of that is due to people like this laying the foundation. And so he was trying to teach uh, his uh, young Brit students. He had always had young students from Britain come over and help and trying to get them involved in Chinese missions. And he told a story to them, true story, and this is recorded in one of his books. Uh, he's written several books. Uh, but, but he says a, a Chinese convert, a young man who he named Peter, was a fisherman. He went out to sea with other fishermen, and, and Taylor went too and in another boat. And, and here's Hudson Taylor, another boat, watching him, see what they do. And this, this man, Peter, even though he's a fisherman, he didn't know how to swim. And so he goes out, and he never learned how to swim. But there were fishermen nearby who were there busy doing their thing, fishing, I mean, making a living. And then he got a big hole, and they started pulling their nets full of fish. And this young man, Peter... You guessed it, fell in the water. 
and he was bobbing up and down. He was, he was trying to get back and trying to get this, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't swim. And so Hudson Taylor, seeing all this from a distance, he's shouting at the Chinese fisherman. Hey, won't you help my friend? Help my friend. And these Chinese would ignore him. They just kept pulling in the nets, pulling in the nets until finally it was too late. And when they got the last net in, then they went over, got the boat closer to this young man floating. They pulled him in. They couldn't revive him. And uh, it was something that he, he never forgot. So Hudson Taylor asked this question of his young Brit students. What do you think of the Chinese? What do you think? And some said, well, uh, that, they're evil. They're mean, unconcerned. Unconcerned about the life of a dying human being. So we let him talk for a while. And then Taylor spoke up and said that he disagreed. He said, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I think differently when I think about those Chinese fishermen. I, I think that they are like most Christians today, unconcerned about the plight of others within reach. And the reason is that they are so busy with their work. Wow. Spoken from the heart of a missionary whose focus was so strong on a foreign land that he left his own and died there 54 years later. Him and his wife, his wife was just as passionate. But you talk about addicted to the ministry of the saints. Praise God. I believe that there are people here today within the sound of my voice who are ready to shift their focus on others in a big way. So I don't want to be like that. I don't want to be like those fishermen. I don't want to get so busy and so preoccupied with what I'm doing that I can't help others. That's why I'm still involved in teaching Bible study. I, if I involve myself in everything that I can, given my energy, my age, my level, I have to know my, I have, you have to know yourself. But I really got to be focused, on, but I want to make sure that I don't get so busy that I can't do, I'm not, I don't do what I can do. Hallelujah. And so you should have a little card. Brother Jake, Kyle, would you come? Have you been given a card already? Has it been passed out to everybody? Okay. We want the ushers to come. Brother Mike, give some people. I'd like you to take a card. It's called Let's Serve. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Ephesians 2.10. See, I believe that there are people here in this place that are ready to shift their focus. And you can start small, but it'll only get bigger. And understand that this is the pathway to leadership. This is where it begins. It's ministering to others. I believe the Lord is here today helping us. He's helping us not just being busy, <laughs> but to help us to shift our focus, to get involved in furthering the kingdom of God. I want to do that, don't you? 
I know many already are doing it, but we need more. We need more. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray right now as these cards are being passed out that you touch hearts, touch minds. Lord, I pray that you move on the hearts of people to make a commitment to be faithful. Faithful to you and to your work. Help us, O Lord, to be more concerned about others. Help us, Lord, to be more concerned about each other. Help us, O Lord, to show love to one another. When this world has lost its way, this world is so cold, so ruthless, help us not to get in the same spirit among each other. Help us to lay aside all strife, contention, wrath. Oh God, help us to be filled with your peace. Help us to love one another and serve one another. God, I pray that those hearts were touched, Lord, that you would draw them, oh God, to sign their name on the dotted line. Help them, Lord, to make a commitment to your work as a laborer in this 11th hour. In Jesus' name I pray. Brother Hyle, would you come and explain this card for us?